Are you on the go and only have a short window to peek at the local headlines? We've got you covered. The KOSU Daily Podcast brings you Oklahoma news every weekday in a condensed and accessible way. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the KOSU Daily to get the scoop on the latest Oklahoma news. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Good to have you both back from our summer hiatus. Glad it's to be good back. to be back. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I'm glad that no one made any news over the summer. Nothing it was, happened. It was, it was really helpful. Really helpful. <laughs> well, we'll start that up again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Now news can start. Yeah, everybody go. Speaking of news starting, State Superintendent Ryan Walters is facing two new lawsuits. Former Norman teacher Summer Boimier is accusing Walters of defamation, false representation, slander, and libel. Former State Department of Education employee Janessa Boynty is filing a wrongful termination lawsuit against Walters and the agency. This brings the number of lawsuits against him to seven since taking office in January. Neva, what are your thoughts on these lawsuits? Well, I think I think you said it when you said the number, Michael. Uh, we've got about one lawsuit a month uh, taking place. Uh, whether that subsides somewhat or whether it continues to just be the kind of the norm that develops in terms of the litigation uh, uh, that is ensuing with Superintendent Walters, who knows? But I think in these instances, you have to look at these lawsuits, just like the court will, case by case on the merit, uh, what the uh, alle- what the allegations are, what the facts are. And uh, what we continue to see as a backdrop to all of this is the controversy that surrounds not only the superintendent, but the State Department of Education, the State Board of Education, and all of the actions that uh, seem to be taking place or being reacted to or being talked about uh, across Oklahoma now that school districts uh, are back uh, with kids in the classroom, teachers in the classroom. Uh, We're back into a new school year, and I think we will continue to uh, be talking about these types of issues for a long time. And I think that the legislators, uh, if you listen to some of them during their their summer uh, hiatus, so to speak, when they're thinking about what they're going to uh, be delving into in February when they come back into regular session, I think that uh, they've got uh, certainly still a lot of questions and things that they want to explore as well. Ryan. You know, Ryan Walters likes to wrap himself up in the Constitution. Uh, you know, he likes to kind of make himself out to be this patri- patriot uh, who's just all about our founding values and principles. But I think one of the things that's happened is that as he's wrapped the Constitution around himself, he must have covered up the First Amendment part uh, of the Constitution because that is plain and clear. Uh, these employees that work for the State Department of Education have a First Amendment right to be able to go speak on matters of public concern. Um, and there is a strong presumption that that right is protected by the First Amendment. That's at the center of at least one of these lawsuits um, that we're dealing with right now. That's that's settled law. Uh, and the idea that any state actor would try to censor or silence their employees from spending their own time and their own energy to go and talk about matters of public concern, which one of these teachers did. They were they were mental health professional at a school. They went to a school board meeting to talk about the need for more funding for mental health in our schools. That's 
Absolutely. We need to hear from that. You know, as, as public citizens, we need to hear from that. Elected officials need to hear about that. And so that's just patently uh, illegal, uh, what he's done there. And, and he'll be held accountable for it. You talked about the, the seven lawsuits. Add to that calls for impeachment. Um, and right now, those calls for impeachment are coming from Democratic lawmakers. But if you look at this, this isn't a partisan issue. Uh, Ryan Walters is a guy who uh, is is getting um, uh, who, who is loathed by both sides of the aisle right now. You know, the Democrats seem to be louder about it. But I wouldn't be surprised if as we move into this legislative session, if he continues these kind of antics that we see real calls for impeachment. If you look at the state constitution, it says that you should be subject to impeachment for willful neglect of duty, corruption in office, habitual drunkenness, incompetency, or any offense involving moral turpitude committed while in office. At least two of those fit uh, right now. Uh, you know, that's we're there. You know, this this guy, he's, he's an unmitigated disaster. It's like someone asked ChatGPT to review the most outrageous and divisive topics in right wing media and then create some sort of a media campaign uh, in the context of the Oklahoma education system. It's like artificial intelligence minus the intelligence part. You know, I think it's interesting, too. And, and I think this is an important thing to note, kind of following up, Ryan, on what you're saying is in this particular instance on the allegation that this individual was fired three days after attending this Edmund school board meeting, the the interesting information that's come out in the suit. And again, all of this will have to be, have to be laid out and scrutinized. But was the fact that she made a two minute comment at this board meeting as a concerned parent, a parent of four children in the Edmond Public Schools, not not just in her role uh, as a uh, as an educator and a professional. And so I think that uh, when three days later uh, she has the termination papers, uh, even though there were other things added to that in terms of what was uh, outlined as the as the reasons, uh, it does give pause. And I think and I think as people. People begin to sort through and listen and try to um, just read and see what they can find on the surface as a just a concerned citizen. They're going to uh, they're going to, I think, begin to pay more and more attention to the fact that you don't want any agency mired in litigation over and over and over again uh, when there's so much work to be done by these folks uh, in these departments and agencies uh, with that with uh, with that being premier, what should be taking place, not having to uh, have these exchanges, not having to have these uh, social media interactions and everything else that frankly uh, just uh, uh, j just makes it more complicated for folks to get the serious work that's before them done. Yeah, and, and courts have been very clear. Uh, you do not lose your right to be a citizen and all the rights that come with being a citizen of the United States of America just because you're a public employee. I mean, that's that's clear. You have those rights. And interestingly enough, the, the things that the State Department of Education and Ryan Walters in particular saying that she violated some non-disclosure or confidentiality agreement. We've talked about that in the past on this program. Those agreements for public employees, that's troubling in and of itself. But all of the information uh, that this concerned parent who happened to work uh, in state education, uh, that this concerned parent talked about at that Board of Education meeting was public record. You know, these these were things that were already out in the public. They disclosed nothing new. Superintendent Walters has announced a partnership with the controversial conservative company PragerU to provide history videos for Oklahoma school students. 
The media organization founded by talk show host Dennis Prager aims to offer an alternative to what it calls left-wing ideology and culture, media, and education. Ryan, what do you think of this partnership? Well, I think it's concerning. Uh, I think you've got Ryan Walters out there saying, we don't want our children indoctrinated. I've got two kids in Oklahoma City Public Schools. Uh, I don't want them indoctrinated. I don't want them indoctrinated from the left. Uh, I don't want them indoctrinated from the right. I want them to be taught how to be critical thinkers, uh, how to assess information and evidence and come to conclusions based on evidence and grounded in reality. Um, And so the idea that you know, he is being consistent here uh, and saying, oh, we don't want to indoctrinate our children. That's just not true. He just wants to indoctrinate the children in a way that he thinks is you know, maybe consistent with his ideology. I don't know that he has an ideology right now. His ideology seems to be entirely ego and self-promotion. So whatever ideology that is. Uh, it, but if you look at some of the stuff that is on this PragerU um, website, one of the things that they say is, this is their own words. It's the world's leading conservative nonprofit focused on changing minds through the creative use of digital media. Our schools shouldn't be changing minds. Again, our schools should be giving our students the tools that they need to be critical thinkers in the world and make decisions based on evidence and reason and grounded in reality. Uh, whether it's left or right, it, it's not the role of our schools to go in there and, and twist our kids' arms and say, you believe this way, because it's the only appropriate way. So this is as inappropriate as anything, if not more so, uh, than Ryan Walters has complained about so far. Neva. Well, it's interesting. I mean, as you try to unpack what's going on with this uh, uh, PragerU kids deal, I mean, there's it, we're really on the kind of just the starting point of more questions than answers. First of all, I mean, uh, this really, as you say, has been born out of uh, um, a talk show host who has developed a nonprofit foundation, um, named it PragerU, even though it has uh, it's not a university or has any educational, you know, uh, accreditation. But it is something that they have designed to basically, in their in in their term, uh, call it edutainment. In other words, it's this intersection of education and entertainment, and they're presenting this content primarily uh, geared toward uh, the uh, younger school-aged children. But here's here are the questions I think that uh, have already cropped up. First of all, um, it, it is not clear whether or not this is going to be just available or whether it ultimately will be required mm-hmm. uh, in the classroom as, as part of the curriculum. Uh, there's a question in terms of uh, um, many of the many of the schools already districts have already said they're not interested. They have curriculum in place. They are comfortable with. They believe uh, 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 conforms to the standards and what should be done. So in gearing toward this younger audience, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see if Oklahoma kind of falls right behind the first state to do it, which was Florida. Florida started said they were going to use this as supplemental curriculum and uh, basically their their tone was uh, we're not going to penalize uh, teachers for using this now we have oklahoma following suit as the second and texas is in the conversation to be the third although they appear in published reports i've read having a great deal of pushback from the educate education uh, community on it so they've kind of slowed the train down and said uh, it'll be a while before they make an official decision but 
if you're talking about just a, another option for curriculum out there for teachers to make a, make themselves uh, available to use, um, as opposed to something that is uh, going to be more mandated or become the curriculum across the board, those are the kind of questions that I think are going to ultimately come to the, the to the state school board. Those are things that are going to be highly debated. Um, having one more option in the in the mix in the toolbox, so to speak, for teachers, I don't think there's a lot of resistance to that among parents. I think it's as Ryan says, as he is a parent, uh, obviously is going to pay attention to what's going on with the uh, you know uh, chil his children and what's going on in the classroom. But that's a different that's a different type of uh, debate. I think what is the kind of further complicates this scenario is the fact that you have Ryan Walters and you have this uh, co-founder of PragerU, Dennis Prager, uh, that have uh, that have been at these national conventions of some of these groups like Moms for Liberty and other meetings, uh, one that uh, took place uh, in July in Philadelphia that they both attended, uh, where it basically was railing on the education establishment, saying that the uh, U.S. Department of Education should be eliminated and on and on. M much of the talk, many of the talking points that we hear, particularly in this uh, in this uh, season where we're into the presidential politics kind of becoming front and center. So I, I think it's it's part of a larger conversation. Every superintendent is going to kind of make their mark in terms of what they want to see in in the. Um, in the education world in Oklahoma when they're elected. So it's not surprising when you have a changing of the guard, you're going to have a lot of these things crop up. I think we're eight months into an, an into his administration, and I think we'll see more clearly in the second year and then the third year whether or not he sustains this road he's going down or whether or not there's uh, some adjustments or whether or not it's just a continuation of what we see, which are a, a kind of a piling on of headlines every day. So um, you know, I think I think there's there's two schools of thought. I mean, clearly in 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 the look of education, I mean, there always has been this kind of liberal versus conservative uh, approach. If you want to kind of make this broad swipe at it, and now we're seeing this debate just come from a different vantage point. It's not going away. We're going to be talking about it, as I said, I think for a long time. Despite concerns from tribal leaders, Governor Stitt taps West No Fire to serve as his Native American Affairs liaison. No Fire served on the Cherokee Nation Tribal Council, ran against Chuck Hoskin Jr. as principal chief, and has opposed the U.S. Supreme Court's McGirt decision on tribal sovereignty. Neva, how big of a deal is No Fire's appointment? Well, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's it it's an interesting appointment because he clearly is in line, even though he is uh, Native American, even though uh, he's been uh, out there on the on the political stump for a while. He's someone that's in line with uh, with Governor Stitt, and I think that's why he's a stint as he's uh, the governor's uh, appointee to this uh, this liaison position. Uh, it, it's interesting that you really have someone coming out of the Cherokee Nation who is diametrically opposite to not only the the uh, principal chief Chuck Hoskins Jr. 
um, in in terms of their view on McGirt and many other things. But he's someone that uh, at 37 years old, I mean, he's had a a pretty uh, um, aggressive career kind of getting into the political pipeline. He came from uh, spending 10 years plus as a professional uh, boxer, then moved quickly into being elected uh, to the Cherokee Tribal Council. Um, and he's 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 someone that clearly doesn't mind getting into crowded races. His first race, which he won in a runoff in that in that tribal election, there were seven in the race. And then he he jumps into the second district congressional race to, uh, in 2022 when I think there were 16, 14, if I remember yeah. right, if, uh, you know, in the race. Uh, he 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 kind of wound up midway in that. But but again, in that conversation and in that congressional race. The whole conversation about McGirt versus Oklahoma and whether it was the biggest threat to Oklahoma and all of the uh, all of the uh, kind of swinging back and forth really was was a big part of that conversation in the congressional race. Then he turned around, endorsed Governor Stitt in the in his reelection, uh, Stitt's reelection campaign, then ran against Hoskin for principal chief uh, earlier this year. And Hoskin, of course, as we talked about earlier this year on the show overwhelmingly beat his two mm -hmm. opponents uh, and uh, and was reelected so i think no fire is going to be the uh, person on the in the native american conversation with the, with the tribes that is the uh, ostensibly the mouthpiece for the governor because he's going to really mirror the governor's views which is counter to anything being talked about by the tribes so he was put in a position that doesn't require Senate confirmation. It's a hundred thousand dollar a year job. Uh, I'm sure he's got a tall order to uh, uh, to take on in terms of what uh, the governor and, and uh, his folks want to see. And we'll just uh, I think we'll watch with interest how this uh, folds into this in this incredibly complicated conversation going on that the tribes and the governor still can't find any ground, it appears, to be able to get to the table and have serious conversations. Ryan. Well, No Fire, <clears throat> no fire comes to the role uh, as a professional boxer. Um, that was his former career. And I just want to make it clear uh, that my favorite professional fighter in Oklahoma politics today is and remains State Representative Ken Luttrell. Uh, you know, so that's, you know, get that out of the way first. Uh, it's important stuff. Uh, State Representative uh, Latrell, my favorite for former professional boxer that's in Oklahoma politics today. Uh, you know, there's a great Doris Kearns Goodwin book, uh, Team of Rivals, in which uh, she looked at uh, President Lincoln's cabinet after he was elected. And one of the things that President Lincoln did is that he he went and surveyed his opposition, you know, the, the very people that were trying to keep him out of the White House. Um, and he didn't say, well, I'm going to you know, exile them to Elba. Uh, he said, I'm going to bring them into my cabinet. And it was because he valued counsel from all corners. And I think that um, being, being able to hear uh, opposition, uh, being able to hear opposing views articulated behind closed doors uh, and giving you frank and direct counsel is one of the most underappreciated um, uh, tactics that any elected official can ever uh, employ. And that's not been the case here, uh, because as Neva said, no fire comes into this role, um, really is, a, is this kind of feedback loop uh, to the governor's position on his relationship with tribal governments. 
Um, and certainly, you know, I think when when um, you know Chief Hoskin said that uh, when he heard of this, he said it comes as um, he said it's disappointing, but it comes as no surprise. Um, you know, he talked about the fact that you know no fire isn't just somebody who's run for office, but that in the course of running for these offices, um, he's peddled unhinged conspiracy theories, unhinged being Chief Hoskins' words, not not mine, uh, unhinged conspiracy theories about Chief Hoskin using the Cherokee Marshal Service to, uh, uh, you know, undertake some sort of child trafficking uh, uh, criminal activity, which is just, you know, wild and incredulous on its face, unsubstantiated in any way whatsoever. Uh, and now this gentleman has you know, got the, the ear of the governor to talk to the governor about tribal relations in the state of Oklahoma. You know, I, I can say, well, bring in somebody uh, that would give you opposing views. Um, but he had that uh, early on in his in his administration mm -hmm. with Lisa Billy really? and uh, former state representative Lisa Billy. Uh, you know, she ultimately ended up walking away from the administration. And that's something that uh, Muskogee Principal Nation, Muskogee Nation Principal Chief David Hill said in his statement was you know, others have tried and ended up walking away when they found themselves as pawns in the governor's deceptive campaign. So it may be the case that he's not even in a position to bring in somebody as kind of a team of rivals situation because nobody wants that job. I mean, it's it's one thing to be able to say, to offer the contrarian view, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the friendly rebuttal uh, within the office. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're constantly ignored or maybe even derided for doing that, it's tough to show up for work, even when you're getting paid $100,000. I think that this signals that we're in a continuation of the ex of the status quo relationship between this uh, uh, this administration and tribal governments in the state of Oklahoma. That's not going to change anytime soon. Probably, probably will not change until there's somebody new in the governor's office. Over the summer, lawmakers managed to overturn vetoes from Governor Stitt over tribal compacts. Since then, the governor has filed lawsuits against the legislature and stepped up his rhetoric against tribal sovereignty. Ryan, what are your thoughts on what happened over the summer? Well, uh, and it's not just what's happened over the summer. It's uh, an ongoing thing right now. Yeah. Ongoing. It's ongoing <laughs> at this point because there's litigation before the Oklahoma State Supreme Court. Um, I don't know why am I, I know August is, isn't the fall, but I get, you know, school starts, college football is going, it's, it's the fall to me, even though it's a hundred thousand degrees outside. Uh, but here we are in the fall, uh, as declared by me, and this is still ongoing, these veto overrides. And what the governor did was as soon as the Senate and the house overrode his vetoes on these compacts, he went to the Supreme court and said, number one, uh, the special session that they called. Uh, was unconstitutional. They didn't have the legislature didn't have any power to call a special session when clearly they do. Um, and then the other thing that he's arguing is that the um, the legislature did not have the ability to enter into these compacts or extend these compacts. And it's the governor's belief that that's the exclusive role of the executive branch. Um, now we see Attorney General Gittner Drummond enter the chat, uh, and he shows up and intervenes in this case, which is quite extraordinary uh, to have an attorney general intervene in a Supreme Court case like this very early on and just say the governor is wrong and that the attorney general's office does not agree with any of this, that the power to enter in and negotiate compacts is a statutory power that the governor enjoys and that the legislature is free to change that if they want to. Um, and here the change was very minor. 
the legislature didn't appoint somebody new to negotiate these compacts or enter into these compacts. They just extended it by a year uh, for both of these. And they did it because if they hadn't done that, the state would have realized significant loss of revenue, 50 million plus dollars loss in revenue uh, as partners in this compact. We've seen that with other compacts, the hunting and fishing compact that fell by the wayside. Those still haven't been renewed. And so the legislature said, we don't want to have the situation where the governor cannot uh, negotiate a new compact with the tribes. We lose money. The tribes you know, lose you know, certainty as to what they're able to do and what they're not able to do uh, within state territory versus you know, their own territorial boundaries. Um, and you know, the, the bargain would just go away. So the legislature said, no, we're going to extend it out a year. We're going to give this administration more time to have a conversation. Hopefully that will happen. Uh, but if the governor's immediate reaction uh, by filing this case before the Supreme Court is any indication of where the administration is at, it does not look like they're willing to come to the table anytime soon to renegotiate either of these compacts with any of the tribes in Oklahoma. Neva. And it is the ongoing battle over these compacts. And what was bizarre is that that you you had this give and take um, and the drama of would they be able to override the governor's vetoes? They come back in. They finally, on the last override that the House did, um, it was 72 to 16. I mean, talk about overwhelming. Um, so, and this was after uh, the governor had uh, spent the weekend before that Monday vote uh, flying around the state, uh, it, it, talking to individual uh, Republican lawmakers. I mean, putting a full court press on after the, after all of this took place. And again, he had come up short uh, in, in the battle. Uh, he had this press conference where he basically lamented about the fact that there were these seven lobbyists that were out there uh, pressuring the legislators. They were the ones that, uh, you know, were really messing the messing the deal up. And 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 yet it's the give and take of of the process that was nothing new. I mean, you always have legislators being lobbied by individuals and interest groups and tribes and individuals uh, on, on any number of matters coming up for a vote. The governor lobbies people, uh, you know, trying to make his case if he's if he sees that there's uh, something getting ready to happen that he is opposed to uh, or trying to Full, add full support to something that he wants to get over the finish line in even a bigger way. So that process was nothing new. What was new is when he sued the Speaker of the House and the pro tem and basically said that they had done this, you know, serious power grab, that it was uh, that it was this kind of raw legislative power that they were exhibiting, that it was that it was not appropriate, that wasn't legal and on and on. Now it sits at the Oklahoma State Supreme Court for them to make some determination on all of all of these matters. But the aftermath was clear. You talk about a speaker and a pro tem coming out and uh, pulling no punches. I mean, uh, uh, pro tem treat basically said, look, uh, I mean, the governor has no end game. He said that he had no intentions of really working with the uh, the courts and the legislature and 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 doing it with common sense. He said um, words to the effect that the governor had failed Oklahoma. And then you had the Speaker of the House, Charles McCall, coming right behind saying that, uh, look, uh, it, it would be to everyone's advantage if the governor would focus on working with all of the parties involved rather than trying to litigate with frivolous lawsuits or, you know, spending taxpayer money to do it. So 
I mean, they were very clear and in tandem in this instance uh, from the total legislative perspective of the governor's out of sync. And, you know, there's only one way to change that. And the governor's going to have to find a way to come to terms and decide to negotiate and do it in good faith and get all parties to come to the table. And right now, um, there doesn't seem to be any indication by the tribes that uh, that they see any um, kind of light at the end of the tunnel on, on this equation. There's a lot of conversation out there about the fact that uh, kind of the, the working uh, theory of everyone has just decided, you know, let's wait out these guys uh, and they'll they'll eventually term out of uh, uh, of the governor's office and some of these other offices and we'll just kind of uh, have a restart. But in the meantime, compacts still have to be negotiated. Things still have to take place. Uh, and it can't be in just a knee jerk fashion. And, you know, one of the things the governor did right at the at the end was uh, come back with this um the suggestion that if um if you'll take a two year on the compact uh, i'll go for that instead of the one year but you have to on the on the tobacco you have to uh, uh negotiate with us and we have to approve or come to an agreement on where the shops or where the locations are going to be so kind of again a non-starter uh kind of something thrown on the table that didn't go anywhere and Again, this is the backdrop leading up, as as you say, Ryan, we're in the fall, but the fall quickly becomes, uh, we get past the fall and all of a sudden we wake up and we're in a new legislative session. And I think this is the fast track that all of this is going on. And and we'll see what the court does. We'll see what uh, happens if there's any attitude change anywhere. But right now, um, it, it appears that everybody's kind of at a standoff and what that means for the future is uh, anybody's guess. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org. Hey there, this is Jenny May Harms with KOSU, where we want to talk with you not just at you. One way we connect with listeners just like you is through social media, like Instagram. So follow us at KOSU Radio, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into KOSU reporting, station news, and even ticket giveaways. Just follow KOSU Radio on Instagram, and we'll see you there. <laughs> 